the MT Takeaway Podcast with Maples Teasdale. Hello and welcome to the MT Takeaway with Maples Teasdale. My name's Adam Bernstein and I lead the Maples Teasdale Hospitality and Leisure Sector. And today I'm going to be talking to Pete Warden, who's Managing Director of LXA Hospitality, Hospitality Titans, Co-Founder and Director of Happy and Maria G's Restaurants. Morning, Pete, and welcome. Morning, Adam. So, Pete, if we can kick off by just giving a bit of background as to how you got into the hospitality and leisure business many years ago, I think it was. Yeah, probably more years than I care to remember, but yeah, absolutely happy to share the story. Like many people, I fell into hospitality at college, started working in a bar part-time, discovered what fun it was, what a great way to meet new people, make new friends, get to know different people, different worlds, different cultures, and really to enjoy yourself quite a lot, which obviously when you're 17, 18, that's really the goal in life, I guess. So I had a lot of fun. I was actually grew up in Birmingham. Thankfully, my accent's not there anymore. Um, Yeah, working in a big pub uh, underneath the Palisades, for those that know uh, Birmingham. Did that for quite a few months, really enjoyed it. Found I had quite an affinity for all things to do with pubs, looking after the cellar. I was too young to work on the bar, so glass collecting, bit of kitchen porter work, bit of working, learning the cellar and things like that. And just loved the social aspect of it, both from a colleague's point of view and a guest point of view. And Decided that this was something I wanted to pursue further, see where it took me. I had a little stint down in Newquay for one summer, working at a hotel down there. Really great fun. And then worked in a few different pubs and various places in Birmingham. Spent a short while working at the Travel Lodge on Broad Street. Broad Street in Birmingham, for those that know Birmingham, is really the centre of all things pub and party. So the hotel right on there was a bit crazy working the night shift. I found myself at 17 years old being the duty manager overnight, which was quite interesting. I'm not sure the hotel would be too happy about the fact that I told them I was 19 rather than 17. (laughs) A lot of people stumbling in from walkabout. Indeed, indeed. Walkabout was for many, many years and probably still is the centre of all things on Broad Street. It was certainly good fun. I then found myself applying for a job that some friends of mine had seen advertised in the paper, which was for the opening team of Planet Hollywood in Dubai. Now, obviously, Dubai now, everybody knows about, but back in the late 90s, 96, 97, 98, not many people knew very much about Dubai. It was about a tenth of the size that it is now. Went along for the interview, got the job, and three weeks later, flew out. Yeah, quite an experience. Uh, 18, did the launch at Planet Hollywood. Obviously, all the stars were there. Arnie, Sylvester Sloan, Demi Moore, Bruce Willis with his band. All a bit overwhelming but amazing fun and then really learned the big American style of, of hospitality and service and training because obviously back in the late 90s, TGI Fridays, Hard Rock Cafe, Planet Hollywood, they were really the market leaders in, in fast casual dining as we know it now. So this was back late 90s. What sort of size was Planet Hollywood globally back then? It was around 80. Okay, because I remember it was every major city you would go to there would be a Planet Hollywood or a Hard Rock. So Dubai, was there a Hard Rock there as well? Uh, there was a Hard yeah. Rock there as well. There still is today. It's in a different location uh, than it was back in those days. But yeah, obviously Planet Hollywood didn't manage to reinvent itself in the same way that Hard Rock did. Obviously Hard Rock's still quite relevant because obviously they've moved on to new bands and new bands and new bands. So the uh, young generation still understand it where Planet Hollywood kind of got stuck with the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. And I'm sure if I ask my daughter... Uh, who they are now they have absolutely no idea so (laughs) perhaps that's an idea for somebody to reinvent planet hollywood with a new generation of younger actors it's very funny actually you touch on that because the generation below me who i work with this actually came up in conversation a few weeks ago and they knew all about hard rock cafe 
And I said, have any of you actually been to Planet Hollywood? Because that's the one I remember going to when I was a child. And they all looked at me dumb-faced, <laughs> no idea, never heard of it before, which is quite funny that that concept is just completely gone. Yeah, as I said, you need to keep reinventing yourself, really, don't you, to stay relevant, especially at the fast-paced world that we all live in today. So, yeah, a few years over in Dubai and then moved back to the UK and got an opportunity to move to Manchester. Um, that was the, right at the very end of '99. And we opened a private members club called Ampersand, which was actually the first private members club outside of London, really, in the UK. Great fun. Um, did Man United's private party on 31st of December, 99. That was interesting, all the players and, and, and Posh and Vex. Let's, let's not talk the about them. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Worked in Manchester for a few years then, different bars, opened up the restaurant bar and grill. Grew to be quite a big group between Piccolino Restaurant Bar and Grill, so did quite a few there. Started to move up the management ladder then from bar manager into restaurant manager into general manager. And was running various different sites. Really found I had an affinity for staff training, staff motivation. So I ended up training all the general managers across the estate, writing all the bar beverage programs, training all the bar managers. And a lot, lot of openings, super good fun. Whenever a company's expanding, openings are mad but enjoyable. And then found myself heading back out to Dubai around 2003-04 to set up a couple of cocktail bars and restaurants over there. And then things started to change a little bit then. I went from running one or two venues. I helped was part of launching a company that was actually creating restaurant concepts and franchising restaurant concepts and setting up restaurant businesses on behalf of investors or behalf of franchisees. And that, at the time, 2004 to 2007, 8 is when Dubai really exploded. Obviously, the marina opened, downtown opened, and everything just went completely crazy. So we're opening up Mall of the Emirates and doing a dozen venues on the same day, spread across this enormous mall, Dubai Mall, then lots of different places all over the Middle East. So we some of the different concepts that we developed. So it was a variety, uh, Italian, Indian, Asian concepts that we then franchise out. Because the norm at the time was to bring international brands from Europe and from America over to Dubai. So we actually developed concepts that were specific targeted for the local market and then franchise out across the Middle East. So we open restaurants in Abu Dhabi, Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, Egypt, Saudi. Yeah, good fun, but um, completely bonkers. I think we did about 60, 70 openings over the course of a couple of years. Really, really enjoyed that. And then ended up back in the UK for the birth of my daughter back in 2007. We actually rejoined the individual restaurant company, which is Restaurant Bar and Grill Piccolino's. Opened a load more sites with them, grew with them. Again, and still couldn't quite get the Dubai bug out of my system. So for the third time, <laughs> went back to the Middle East, 2012, for another five-year stint. And my wife and daughter came over. Then I was running the company I'd previously been working for, and then actually joined a new company, which is a, quite a similar model to what LXA Hospitality is today, where we're working with international brands and helping them expand, whether that's through franchising or direct investment, or we are uh, managing businesses on behalf of people, or everything in between. And then five-ish years ago now, I decided to come back to the UK, when just my daughter was hitting high school age, decided it was time I did something myself. LXA Projects uh, was a company I was working with over in the Middle East. They were designing restaurants and project managing restaurants for me, both in the Middle East and in the UK. I uh, got on really well with the three partners there, so we... I had a few beers one day and decided it would be a good idea to set up LXA Hospitality. So I'm obviously always thankful for those guys giving me the opportunity. So we're still business partners in that business today, where LXA Projects does interior design, project management, quantity surveying, both in hospitality and a few other fields. LXA Hospitality is specifically focused on all things in the hospitality sector, um, a variety of different services. So that sort of leads us up to today. Perhaps you can give us a bit more background on, on what LXA actually do, the types of companies they work with, and the offering that, that you have for new concepts or existing concepts even in the UK market. 
quite varied really it depends on the needs of our clients we're able to flex the range of services up and down a lot of our clients are international existing brands well known in their home market whether that be the US whether that be the Middle East whether that be Asia and they're coming to the UK and that they know their brand but they don't know the UK market specifically in terms of who their demographic guests are going to be but also all the various ins and outs and do's and don'ts and that's where we'll come in and, and offer that knowledge and that suite of services so whether it's brands such as Sunday in Brooklyn coming over from New York and launching in Notting Hill we'll step in on behalf of the franchisee and fill all the knowledge gaps there or whether we're bringing Happy, which is a big casual dining group out of Bulgaria, bringing those and launching those into London. Big site, Piccadilly Circus there, 300 seat, very, very, very busy. Again, we'll step in and fill with the knowledge gaps of how things operate and set up in the UK. And that, and that can be anything from working on the in, in market entry strategy and business plans through to working with agents for site finding, through to appointing fantastic solicitors to help them along the way, such as yourself. And then recruitment, supply chain, management systems, and all the structure that's needed. And in quite a few of these cases, we end up staying onwards post-opening, sometimes in an operational point of view, sometimes more of a strategic point of view. As you introduced me earlier, I'm, a, I'm director of Happy and have been since before the launch. We also, from time to time, do work to create new concepts. Um, that's either with a entrepreneur that's got a fantastic idea but needs help turning that into a hospitality reality, or with investors that may have a site but not sure what to do with it. So we're working at the moment with a fantastic investor who's got a site just off Oxford Street. We had a long chat about what could potentially work there and it turns out that the site itself is actually part of the Brazilian consulate. So that put an idea into our heads that, well, should we potentially look at doing a Brazilian restaurant? So a bit of market research later, looking at what the market is like for Brazilian restaurants in London, we think there's definitely a gap in the market for a really good premium offering managed to get hold of probably one of the best Brazilian chefs in the world, Alberto Langraf. So he's got restaurant Otec over in Rio, two stars, 47th best in the world. Got on really well with him, uh, the investors and one of my associate directors, Sean, she flew out to Rio a few weeks later, signed the deal. And hopefully in a couple of months time, we'll be bringing that to fruition. So it really does vary depending on the situation, uh, whether it's an established brand or whether it's an opportunity, we'll look at how we can best place to get it into something we hope is going to be successful. I think obviously London's one of the most, if not the most amazing restaurant F&B market in the world. But with that, obviously, it's highly competitive. So we've got to be sure that what's coming in is going to be a best in class and be potentially filling a gap in the market and ideally a crossover of those two that puts you on the way to success. Obviously, there's no guarantee. But if you set it up properly and you know you've done your research and you know you've got the financials where they need to be then there's a good strong chance if the product and offering is good enough i think that kind of leads nicely into the next question which is a bit more specific about what advice you would offer any brands who are trying to break the uk hospitality market and how they can become a success quickly obviously market is a very interesting place right now if you listen to the press we should all be staying at home, hiding under the covers with, with the heating off. But actually, if you walk around London and see it's still boom time, it's enormously busy, both with Londoners, tourists, uh, there's a lot going on. So there's definitely going to be a lot of interesting opportunities. Obviously, empires are built in recessions. Um, although officially, we're not in one yet. We all know it's coming or teetering on the edge of coming. That's going to make a lot of people nervous in terms of landlords, in terms of deals. So you start to hopefully find the right deals for the right sites. So it's obviously a, quite a combination of factors that set you on the path to success. But certainly, uh, as I mentioned before, I think having the right offering, 
that's best in class and hopefully filling a gap is first and foremost the key because it is hugely competitive and if you're average then unfortunately you won't last uh, because somebody else will do it better than you and people will choose with their feet and go to them instead but then backtracking away from the actual product offering obviously the setting up the business in the right way in particular from a commercial point of view getting those deals right from a rent point of view understanding the business rates understanding all the other overheads can the business afford it obviously revenue is very simply made up of the number of people coming to the venue and the amount of money each person is spending. And so depending on where your offering sits in the genre, there's a ceiling price. You can only charge so much for pizza. You can only charge so much for fried chicken. It might be the best fried chicken in the world, but there's a, there's a ceiling price of what you can charge. And then obviously when you look at the size of a venue, how many people realistically can we serve a day? And if the metrics don't add up, then you may not be able to get the site. And what a lot of overseas brands in particular tend to do is fall in love with great locations but then not necessarily do the numbers to stack it up. You may have a beautiful location in Mayfair, but if the rent's one and a half million pound a year and your concept's not going to be able to sustain that, and unfortunately it's a big fat no, then you've got to make the decisions with your head rather than your heart. I suppose that sort of, I was going to try and feed into the the legal side just very quickly, um, because obviously these new brands, they probably want flexibility, don't they, in their leases, and they probably want... I mean, you might tell me completely differently, but I would suspect they want a break clause quite soon after. They probably want quite a chunky rent-free or a CapEx contribution from the landlord for their fit-out. Is that what you're generally seeing with new brands? Or are people willing to take the risk on a a 10-year lease or or a 15-year lease with rent reviews after five and and a very small rent-free? I think there's a variety of factors and that you you are going to find some of the bigger groups and the bigger investors are keen to have those longer leases still because they obviously see value in that, especially if you're in a location within London where there's a potential premium for that lease, whether it's Mayfair or Soho, where you know you can get some value back. They're going to want the longer leases. But if you're a startup and money's tight, then you're going to want that flexibility. As you said, you're certainly going to want those break clauses in there that will enable you, should it fail, to get out of it and not have a big onerous lease stuck over your head. And I think definitely raising funds right now is more challenging than it's ever been for the sector. So some kind of capex contribution is hugely important because it helps you get along the way or rent free or a combination of the two. I think the other element is the turnover rent factors. Obviously, uh, there's been some of the landlords for quite a while have been doing a base rent with a turnover top up, whichever's higher. But I think more and more now we're pushing to try and get the base rent as low as possible, if, if at all, and get it almost entirely on turnover. And then for everybody shares the risk, but obviously everybody also shares the upside. And that makes people a lot more comfortable, especially, as I said, those fantastic new brands that aren't capitalized as well as some of the bigger ones. Uh, I think having that flexibility just gives everybody a bit more comfort, a bit more security and and hopefully pushes people to be more innovative and to try new and different things because we need it. We need to be pushing the boundaries of what great food is and what great service is and what's new and what's different. And obviously experiential is the buzzword for the last few years. People, if they just want food, they can order it online and get it delivered to their house. They're going out because they want to have an experience and be around people. And the atmosphere is more important than ever and the service style. But yeah, but people spend a good couple of years with COVID hiding at home. You're going out on a, a whatever day or evening it is. You, you're going to want to have a lovely experience. And that's all the little parts that make that up together. But as I said, new and different things need to be tried. And I think we need 
to have landlords that are willing to take a risk on people and structure a deal that's going to work for them. And that's obviously, again, where you're coming. Uh, you and your team will work closely and advise on that. Obviously, there was many years where it was quite a unchanging package in terms of what the lease was going to look like. You said it was going to be 10, 15, 20, 25 year lease, in or out the acts, and you're going to have upwards only rent reviews. But those those times have changed now and need to going forward. It's got to be a lot more collaborative to be inducive to really help drive innovation and, and new people to try new things. Brianne, well, yeah, I agree with you. It's just trying to ensure that the turnover provisions actually reflect what's going on the ground because I think what we have seen is turnover has traditionally been geared to retailers. But, you know, things which are classed as turnover for retailers are not going to be classed as, as turnover for for hospitality, restaurants, bars, whatever it may be. So that is interesting to touch on that. The other thing I wanted to ask was with these new brands, I'm assuming most of central London is owned by the big sort of pension funds or the massive property owners. Do you find a bit of resistance from them when you come along with a new brand and they say, well, the covenant strength, there isn't really one because they're a startup in the UK. Yes, they may have a great reputation in whatever country they're, they're coming from. Or are landlords becoming a bit more flexible with these new brands and the covenant strength that they might have? I certainly think it's started to change. If you go back pre-COVID, covenant was everything. If you're a prep with that huge covenant behind you, you're going to get the sight over somebody else. Or I mean, that's just obviously one example. But certainly the likes of Casual Dining Group, the Azuri Group now, and the Restaurant Group, they obviously could always cherry pick what they wanted because obviously there's a huge business behind it and therefore there's low risk but with everything that went on during covid and the dreaded cvas that started to come about meant that actually that covenant really wasn't worth anything anymore because if they didn't like the site they're just getting mixed up into the cva and you're going to be stuck with it so i really think that there is an appetite for new and innovative brands and if you look at the likes of shaftesbury and capco they really don't look at the covenant that much these days. What they're looking for is the best for their estate. They are placemaking and they've done some great jobs and some great brands. So really what they want is just to have the absolute best of new and innovative things and not necessarily brands that are going to have multiple, multiple, multiple sites in London. They want some one, a lot of one-offs. They don't mind it being an international brand or that has locations in New York and Miami and LA and Tokyo, but they want the only one in London yeah. because it, it makes them special and it makes their people have to come to their estate. And that's certainly the way we see it going. There's always going to be some of the big, more risk-adverse pension funds that are still going to look for that covenant because they're not necessarily placemaking for their estate. They are securing their investors' interests and they want that biggest rent possible and the biggest covenant possible, even if it means that rent is probably potentially unachievable, they're going to push to get that covenant in place so that that's not their problem. Yeah. Just touching on properties and what actually makes a property more suitable for, let's just say, for argument's sake, a new brand coming to the UK than another property. What do they look for in the property? I think it's a few different things. Uh, Obviously, depending on the style of the brand, you may need footfall. You may be quite casual dining and you're going to be driven by a lot of footfall past the front door and drawing people in. So obviously, people are always going to be pulled to Soho and and Chinatown and uh, Fitzrovia and that sort of place where you know you've got that footfall. Or they may be looking for something more premium and Mayfair-esque. Second thing is always the building itself. As I said, people should make decisions with their heads, but it's very much heart-driven. If you've got a brand that you've spent 10 years developing and you come to want to bring it to London now and you're going to see a site that you fall in love with, then you're really, really going to want that site. 
whether it's trying to replicate what you had previously or whether it just feels special. And obviously, we're very lucky to have some amazing buildings and properties here in London. And obviously, the listings on them protect them, but also make it more difficult to redevelop them. And, and with that comes time and cost. But I think once you get past, is it in the right location for my demographic, for my style? Of, does it feel nice? Then the challenges come in. Obviously, our projects arm of our project managing various different things and that's when the difficulties come in especially from a MEP point of view does it have enough power can we get more does it have gas or we're not allowed obviously most new developments don't have gas now everything's going to electrics only but then a lot of style of cuisine of cooking still want to cook with gas or can we get charcoal burning Therefore, obviously, it's a different filtration system that needs to go in and for the, for the kitchen. Can we get a big enough extraction hood? Obviously, if it's not been a restaurant previously, the tenants of the building aren't too happy when a uh, 800 by 800 piece of stainless steel goes up the side of the building, but it's necessary to make it a restaurant. So certainly, there's always those challenges. Can it actually deliver the basics of what we need it to? Because if it can't, or it's going to cost enormous amounts of time and effort and energy if you want to get a power upgrade you could be waiting anything from three to six months if they can do it at all if you want to get planning for that new extraction ducting then it could be a very long time and with that you're you're potentially losing time money potential revenue losing out on other sites losing out on market share if you've got a new innovative brand and you're the first to market but then you have to wait a year because uh, things happen uh, and then somebody else pips you to the post could be quite upsetting as well so there's a, there's a huge amount of factors some more exciting and some very boring but very essential yeah okay and then just finally wouldn't be right to not end it with what your view of the or the outlook of the hospitality sector is for 2023 we're early in the year it kind of feels you know as we touched on earlier that everyone wants us to stay at home and just sit on our beds and, and eat takeaways or, or cans of beans or, or whatever else but do you think it's going to be a successful year for the hospitality industry i think it's going to be very challenging in terms of cost we all know how both cost of staff which is our biggest overhead cost of product which has gone up enormously utilities obviously the support's falling away so there'll be a lot of challenges in trying to make the businesses profitable and managing cash flow away from the doom and gloom though we've never been busier or had more inquiries as we have right now there's a lot of amazing restaurants coming to london some of which we're doing many of which we're not of course so i think we're going to see an enormous amount of new openings both things that are already planned and people jumping on opportunities obviously with the pound being weaker the investment opportunities for people from overseas is enormous and with with, with the opportunities for the deals with landlords especially if they're willing to put in capex contributions or significantly improve rent-free periods then that's interesting for investors as well so there's a lot of great things coming a lot more will come but I think everybody's hoping that the government do realise that some more support is needed, and whether that's VAT reduction, whether that's business rates changes, whether that's extending the utility support. Unfortunately, there will be a lot of businesses going under because cash flow is very, very, very tight for everybody now. Nobody really recovered from COVID with businesses that were there, and everybody that has opened newly has just come into a much higher cost base. So I think very positive from a new opening revenue point of view very challenging from a cost control business cash flow management point of view will be my outlook pete thanks very much for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us today thank you you can find out more about the hospitality and leisure team at maples teasdale by visiting our website at maplesteasdale.co.uk and following the links to our sector experience 
You've been listening to the MT Takeaway with Maples Teasdale. I hope you can join us again next time where we'll have another guest from the hospitality and leisure sector. The MT Takeaway podcast with Maples Teasdale. Real estate law for the hospitality and leisure industry.